You're listening to Nonprofit Confidential, episode number 29. Thanks so much for joining me here today. I'm your host, Sheila Nimishakavi, and I'm so excited to share with you a really great conversation that I had with Stephanie Hathaway, who is a regional donation center manager for Souls for Souls. If you've ever felt like you lack passion for your work, but it's too late to make a shift, then this episode is for you. Or if you've ever considered making a change, but you wondered, how would your skills translate over to a new field? This episode is for you. Stephanie's background is not in nonprofit work. Her background is actually in fashion, but after finally landing her dream job, she didn't feel as fulfilled as she thought she would and started to consider her options. Through her journey, she found her passion for helping others, particularly women and children, and now channels that passion into her work with Souls for Souls. So let's jump right into it. Here is my conversation with Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me on Nonprofit Confidential. To kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about your nonprofit, Souls for Souls? Sure. So Souls for Souls has been around since about 2006. Uh, We are a nonprofit that's based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and our mission is ultimately to wear out poverty through the distribution of shoes and clothing all over the world. We are to date in around 130 countries and have distributed more than 35 million pairs of shoes. Wow, that's really impressive. So um, can you talk a bit about your journey and kind of what what uh, attracted you to Souls for Souls in particular? Yeah, of course. So my background is in the for-profit world. I used to work um, for Macy's and at Microsoft. Um, at Microsoft, I did corporate event planning and community development. And at Macy's, I was an assistant buyer, which was always kind of my dream job. But when I started pursuing that in New York City, I started to see you know, people who had significant needs. Um, I was exposed to all of these different volunteer opportunities to help support people. And I found myself that in my free time, instead of trying to grow in the fashion world, I was volunteering at soup kitchens. And so my whole kind of outlook on where my future was going to be switched. Um, I took a trip to Mexico, just totally impromptu, um, where I volunteered at a daycare to um, help mothers who were single and needed support around um, people watching their kids so they could go out and find jobs. And I realized that a lot of women in a developing world, they not have, they don't have access to consistent income, and because of that, they don't have anyone to watch their children. So this nonprofit that I volunteered at was essentially free daycare, Monday through Sunday, for moms to bring their kids to. And I noticed that a lot of the kids, when they were coming into the school, they weren't wearing shoes, or they didn't have proper clothing, or their hair was dirty, their feet were dirty. Um, So I realized that there were needs greater than myself out there and then greater than the fashion industry. And so I left that world and started pursuing um, a nonprofit career path. 
Thank you. That's so interesting. Um, and I think it's really cool that like you had kind of a personal moment of reflection that you decided, you know, this isn't necessarily the path that I want to be on, you know, because right. fashion is one of those careers that's such a dream for so many people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, once you're there, it, it can be a little bit, it sounds like it was a little, you know, like you got a little, maybe a little bit disillusioned. Is that the right word? Or? I think so, for sure. I think I had this big dream of working, you know, kind of like the devil wears Prada yeah. mindset, you know, <laughs> I'm going to make it and I'm going to do all these great things in the fashion world. And I realized that a lot of the fashion world is not um, that glamorous and it's very cutthroat. And I knew that I couldn't spend um, my days doing that type of work where I felt like my integrity was almost compromised in a way and that I could put all these hardworking hours towards helping make a difference in someone's life instead. Yeah, absolutely. So can you talk a bit about that transition from, you know, fashion and events over to the nonprofit world? Yeah, so it was challenging, to say the (laughs) least. I essentially left New York City and I moved back home to Virginia, which was a very humbling moment. Um, And I started looking for nonprofit job opportunities. And unfortunately, I, I couldn't find anything. I really struggled with finding my place in that world and not having enough education outside of volunteering at a nonprofit to know the ins and outs. And I think that made it difficult for me to get hired at a nonprofit. So instead I said, okay, well, let me submerge myself into understanding what the local community needs. And I decided to join the AmeriCorps VISTA program, which is a great a great opportunity. I just think it was more suited to someone straight out of college or someone who has never really had on-the-job experience before because I found myself doing a lot of administrative tasks and not directly impacting like I wanted to. You also don't get paid necessarily in that type (laughs) of role. So Um, I did it for about eight months, and then I got offered another job doing community development for Microsoft. So I left the for-profit pursuit, and I moved back to the corporate world. However, my job at Microsoft was trying to get technology into underserved communities. But as oftentimes with a corporate position, what can happen is your job can just kind of switch and change, and you're focus can be directed in a different different way than what you originally went in, and that's what happened. Um, I started being told that I needed to focus on gamers and getting <laughs> gamers into the store to play Xbox games, and I didn't even know how to turn an Xbox on, so um, I knew that wasn't going to work out for me, and it was just kind of another big picture sign that I needed to, I needed to be in the nonprofit world, that a for-profit career was just never going to be the right fit on the rest of my journey. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Um, I love that you had to play or try to get people to play Xbox games. I love your journey because it's just so um, varied (laughs) from like Xboxes and AmeriCorps and then fashion. Um, So from there, how did you find Souls for Souls? So I was doing in-depth job searches, again, kind of like I did before I joined the AmeriCorps, and I lucked out pretty quick, and I found that Souls for Souls was 
looking to grow their mission by opening regional donation centers throughout the country. So the Richmond, Virginia location would have been the fourth location to open. And the whole purpose of the regional centers is obviously to get USU and clothing donations and give donors accessibility and uh, the convenience factor that so many were looking for. But also one of Souls Results core values is entrepreneurialism because so many of the women who are selling the shoes we collect are entrepreneurs themselves. So they wanted to bring that component um, directly into our culture. So I applied as soon as I found it and they called me, interviewed me, and you know I really fell in love with the mission because I, it, it felt so close to my heart from what I experienced and that kind of light bulb moment I had when I was in Mexico volunteering and seeing women and children who just needed an opportunity. So yeah, I got interviewed and I told them, you'll have a supporter for life even if you do not hire me or if <laughs> this regional center doesn't open. And I remember doing all this research around you know, warehouse options for souls for souls in places in Virginia that I thought would be the right fit. And I emailed it to them it took like three months, I think, before they got back to me and offered me the job because the Richmond um, idea was only really on the table because our CEO had gone to Randolph-Macon College. Oh. And yeah, he knew that Richmond had a pretty solid philanthropic presence. So I got hired and was just said, here's our mission. We support you. You have the autonomy to go out and make it happen. So that's what I did, or tried to do. So you just kind of got thrown into the world of nonprofits. Yeah. <laughs> There's, you know, no better way to learn. It's funny, I went from pretty much, you know, not having any opportunity in the nonprofit world to here, run this nonprofit <laughs> in a state that has no um, real existence yet. Yeah. So, yeah, big shift. <laughs> it's so funny because when I hear your story, it's like so obvious that you would be the perfect person for this job because, you know, it's almost like full circle. You had the personal experience in Mexico with, um, you know, you worked in fashion and now you're kind of working with shoes in a different way, of course, but um, also planning events and doing community outreach for Microsoft. You're kind of doing the same thing. So it's like full circle, but now you're attached to the mission. Yeah. For sure. It's funny, the the only piece that I thought I was missing from this job was the fashion piece, which seems so obvious now, but a donor <laughs> said to me once when I was telling her about, you know, my transitions in and out of different jobs and what brought me here, and I said, you know, I have a master's in fashion merchandising, but I'm not really using it. And she said, but you are. This is a stage of merchandising that a lot of companies or people or individuals don't get to see or that often doesn't happen so you are a reason that that now gets to happen so I thought that was pretty cool that it really I mean full circle all the dots connected yeah absolutely uh, like it may not be you know fashion shows and fashion week and all that yeah. but I think the this donor is absolutely right I mean the level that you're operating at you're basically like a distribution center yeah <laughs> you know yeah. it's pretty pretty cool to see you know all the different you know, what I saw as failures or disappointments at different stages of my career all 
kind of culminate into one really awesome opportunity to do all the things that I want to do. I'm still working with shoes, clothing. I'm, you know, able to plan events. I'm able to work directly with donors and then indirectly impact um, an opportunity that someone who needs it now gets. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, can you talk a bit about your transition from for-profit to nonprofit? Like, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you faced during that transition? I would say the biggest challenge was going from, you know, at a for-profit, I had, this is my job. This is the box that my job was in. And if it evolved or changed, it just went from one box to another. Whereas now, I feel like I have multiple boxes with different job titles in them. So wearing multiple hats now at a nonprofit is something that, I don't know if I would say it was a challenge or just like a big change Mm -hmm. to me. And it did take a while to go from, okay, but this is not my job. To saying, okay, this is this is now a part of my job, and I have to have to do it. Yeah, I see. So kind of like you had such a you know more or less rigid job structure at a for profit. So when something didn't fall into your your job description, you can say, okay, it's somebody else's job. Right. Now you're you're running a distribution center, so <laughs> you've yeah. kind of got to do do everything. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um. Yeah, very cool. Um, So what do you think um, is the biggest, like, difference between for-profit and non-profit, if you can identify one? I think the biggest change really, for me and my experience, comes down to the culture of the organization. You know, at a non-profit, I don't think you're at all seen as a number or a job description or a job title. It's, you know, you are really a part of more of a family that all really care about making a difference in the world. You know, we all know we can't necessarily change the world completely, but we will all want to be a part of it. So I think that like-minded mentality and that hard work ethic in order to accomplish that is the biggest difference that I've experienced. Very cool. So I'm going to switch roles here or switch gears here a little bit um, and ask how has your role evolved since you started with Souls for Souls? <laughs> so when I started, like I said, there was no real foundation at all in the Virginia market or region. So my job specifically, I would say the first year was obviously getting a warehouse to operate as a donation center but then spreading the word and getting awareness out that Souls for Souls was here now letting people know that but then teaching people why they should donate to Souls for Souls and educating people while also educating myself you know on what our mission exactly was and how we're different um, from other nonprofits or how our biggest competitor is actually a landfill, you know, because so many people don't even recycle their shoes and clothes because they don't think they are valuable anymore. So the whole first year was all around kind of cold outreach and awareness. It's almost like if you 
have a sales job and you have no client book, mm-hmm. you've got to build it kind of from the ground up. So that was the first year, and I, I think I'm still doing that, but it's not as um, concentrated on that because I think Souls for Souls' mission is something that a lot of people can get behind, so it wasn't a hard sell. And then making Souls for Souls accessible. So we have our donation center in Richmond, but then there are people in Northern Virginia who want to give, and they don't want to drive two hours to here. So figuring out ways to do outreach that also supported donors who wanted to get involved. That was, you know, the, I guess the, for you, if you look at a year and a half, that's what I was concentrating on. And then about six or seven months ago, we, you know, we were getting used shoe and clothing donations, but it was slow. It, it takes time, you know, to get the shoes to us, to get people, you know, fully, fully on board and invested. And even if they are fully on board and invested, how many shoes are they actually going through in a year's time to get them to us? So I had a meeting with the president at Souls for Souls, and we talked about how Richmond particularly has this huge volunteer presence and that people want to support, but before they support, they need to see what they're supporting. And at the time, my warehouse didn't have enough needs or not consistent needs for people to come and help with. So he said, you know, we have this retail partner who donated truckloads, mass truckloads of sample shoes to us, which means that the right foot is separate from the left foot. And they could be within those trucks, but we need people to go through and create a system in order to find them. Let's do it here. (laughs) So essentially a month's time, we moved out of the existing warehouse into another, received eight full truckloads of single shoes, which was around, I want to say up 200,000 pounds of product. And yeah, it was slightly overwhelming. Um, And then create a system around getting them processed and recruiting volunteers. So I reached back out to contacts I've made and new contacts and different sites to bring volunteers in. So I went from being more heavily centered on outreach and getting new people to donate, it was more around getting new people or existing contacts to come in and volunteer and really feel that impact of their service. Because we do, you know, we talk about just 20 pairs of shoes. Just finding 20 pairs of shoes within all those truckloads means that now a woman in Haiti can shelter her family for a year. I mean, that's huge to be a part of that and to actually touch the shoes and put them together and know that you're you're changing life by being in the warehouse. So the biggest the biggest change in evolution is definitely having more interaction with volunteers and getting them on board to support for the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean just I have like chills almost because it's so true. Once you figure out kind of the the number of shoes it takes to to you know house a family in Haiti, that's so crazy that within an hour or two hours, a volunteer can come in and do that, and they can instantly see kind of the fruits of their labor. For sure, I think that's that's what people are looking for when mm-hmm. they interact with a nonprofit is 
they need to know that their time and what they're focusing on or a monetary donation is actually benefiting someone else and they can hear and know the tangible outcomes. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like the work that you did at the beginning was really kind of boots on the ground, um, raising awareness that Souls for Souls is now in Virginia. We're here. Um, come support us. Come donate shoes and clothes. But how did... Um, did you have, like, a method for going through that? Because Virginia is so big. <laughs> how did you manage to get the word out? So I remember my first couple of weeks before I got the warehouse, I would literally do a Google search of... Virginia zip codes, starting with the one nearest to me, and I would search businesses, schools, uh, civic groups within one zip code at a time and create spreadsheets around it, create signatures in my outlook that were custom to those places, and just kind of go in blind. Mm -hmm. Um, That was my initial method, which you can imagine that's not sustainable, (laughs) it's very time-consuming, Um, So I kind of scaled back on doing that and really focused on using any pre-existing connections that we might have had in the surrounding area, including people might have have traveled with us or have given financially or been a part of a shoe drive. So leveraging those contacts and then also reaching out to your own personal contacts. Mm -hmm. Because one thing I have noticed in the nonprofit world, which is definitely different than a for-profit world, is how your personal and professional life can collide Mm -hmm. so easily. So getting people that know you and care about you on board to support the mission is really a key step. Um, It's fundamental in bringing awareness to what you're trying to accomplish and do. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it sounds like you are very... Um, you know, resourceful (laughs) to really use whatever connections you have to to build it up from the ground up. Because I mean, when you're coming in brand new, even though Souls for Souls wasn't a new nonprofit, it was new to Virginia. So it was Mm -hmm. practically like launching a new nonprofit in the area. Yeah, it's very, very much grassroots too. So the regional donation center model was started because of one volunteer's grassroots efforts. Um, She was a traveler, a past traveler of Souls for Souls, and she came back from, I believe it was Haiti, and just had this, almost like a guilt that she needed to do more to, to help, so she started collecting used shoes for us, and she went, she started with her personal connections and places she frequented and asked them to support. Would they put out a box? Would they donate their shoes? And They did, and it just kept growing to where she went from collecting in her garage to now she needed a storage space, and now she needed a warehouse. And then for her 70th birthday, she needed a forklift to move all these shoes around her warehouse. And Souls for Souls saw how that grassroots efforts can really, I mean, go a long way. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what happened in Virginia, too. It was very much, you know boots on the ground, go out there, talk to as many people as you can and just spread awareness and people will, people will fall in and want to support. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so since your role is so independent, how do you stay motivated? 
That's a great question. <laughs> so I never thought of myself as being entrepreneurial at all, um, but I did my, my whole education was pretty much online, and I had to create my own schedule around getting it accomplished because I wasn't going to class. It was, here's your assignments. You do it on your own time and get it done. And I never would have thought that would equip me for this role, but it definitely, definitely did because no one's going to do the work for you or tell you, you know, when, where, and how. You just have to figure it out. And I actually appreciate that in a role, and that was something that was missing from any former career I was in where it was so regimented, and it was Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, here's what you have to do. Versus now, it's, it is, it's so independent and I get to make my own schedule and um, there's a level of flexibility I didn't have before. And I think that flexibility alone is motivating yeah. to me because it eliminates that, you know, job fatigue that a lot of people end up experiencing. So I feel blessed that Souls for Souls gives me that opportunity in this role. Um, knowing the impact is, of course, another way to stay motivated you know we know that every day someone's life is being impacted because of the work that we're doing another motivational piece is the volunteers so seeing volunteers I mean the regional center started because of one if it wasn't for a volunteer in Colorado I wouldn't be here today so seeing volunteers who support and give their time and energy and even sometimes own personal resources so freely is incredibly inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, um, you know, something to say for just keeping the mission of the organization front and center to avoid feeling fatigue. And, and have you started to feel any kind of burnout or fatigue through your work yet? Oh, for sure. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, I think everybody does, but I think if you don't, you're not working hard enough. That's kind of my mentality, but it's knowing when to take a step back too and look at the work you're doing and kind of reprioritize and shift and um, working on nonprofit definitely gives you that ability to do so and having that open culture where you can go to your boss or you can talk to your colleagues and they are can be a sounding board yeah. for you but not only listen but also figure out ways to help support you yeah in that definitely um, and do you feel like, so you mentioned that with nonprofit work, sometimes the line between professional work and your personal life can be blurred in a good way. You know, you have context to reach out to. Do you ever feel like that gets tiresome? You know, it's, it, do, do you feel that people constantly connect you with Souls for Souls and you're like, I'm also an independent person? <laughs> yeah, I was talking to um, Dawn, who kind of runs our warehouse here now in Richmond, and I said, you know, it's funny, everywhere I go, it's never, who are you? It's, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to still have your own voice outside of that nonprofit world, too, because you can easily become your job. But that's, that's in any role. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's about setting boundaries and going into situations where people don't care necessarily about what you do. It's more about you are yeah very true so what are you most proud of that's a loaded question <laughs> gosh 
from like a larger perspective, I think I'm most proud of stepping away from an industry that was not serving me as a person. I think so many times people stay in jobs that they're not happy with because they feel like they have to or that there's no way that they can turn back. And I feel fortunate that I realized it early on in my career. And I think that's something you know you should be proud of if you do feel like the role you're in or the company you work for, even if the pay and opportunity might be great, if there's something intrinsically missing within you in that role that you should walk away from it. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. There's just something to be, I mean, you spend so much of your life at work (laughs) that if it's, if it's draining your energy and if it's not bringing you joy, that's just, um, you know, unfortunately it's no way to to live so right. that is definitely something to be very proud of because it, it can be so easy especially when you're making good money and like for-profit or corporate world it's so hard to step away from that <laughs> it is it is and also there's the sea of opportunity in the for-profit world too and a ladder mm-hmm. that you can climb and oftentimes at a nonprofit, your moves are lateral or you can stay in the same role for years and years and years and being okay with that because it truly fulfills you yeah. is is something that I think a lot of nonprofit professionals will say they have and are thankful for. And, you know, their personal lives are better because they now are able to have a work-life balance but still know that the impact of their work is significant. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, just in my opinion, I think that, like, work-life balance becomes a problem when your work isn't something that you enjoy, you know, Mm -hmm. so you can kind of bring home that negativity versus when you like your job, it doesn't always, always, you know, it will definitely feel like work, but not all the time. Yeah. It won't feel like a burden or something that's like taking the life out of you. It should really give you life and make you feel more alive because of what you're doing versus feeling like you're taking years away. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well put. (laughs) Um, What is your favorite part about your work? My favorite part about my work is that, well, one, the flexibility is definitely one of the largest perks to my work. But the actual work that I'm doing and the effect it's having is knowing that women and children are going to have a better life, essentially. That kids who wouldn't be able to go to school before are now able to have an education. I think that, to me, is so important. And when I went to Mexico, and also I traveled to Guatemala with Souls for Souls, and I saw some kids that were denied that childhood, that every child deserves and the indirect impact of what we're doing here is changing that and that to me is you know definitely my favorite part okay so this is going to come kind of out of left field but um with the emphasis on fast fashion now how do you think that has affected Souls for Souls? Do you see a lot more product come in? Is it, um, you know, has, has Souls for Souls had to change any of its operations to account for that? 
So fast fashion, it's, it's interesting to me because people are consuming so much more and that means they have so much more to throw away. And because they're not spending a lot of money necessarily on it, they don't see any value mm -hmm. in it for the future. So Souls for Souls has, I think, really had to adjust their model. We collect clothes as well, so there's a whole uh, Clothes for Souls division now in a way of grading clothes that has had to evolve over time because you used to maybe have a scale of one to ten and now with the rise of fast fashion that number increases significantly because there's so much more of it and there's so much more of it that's not quality either so one thing we do now is if a product is not worth wearing if someone cannot wear it multiple times it's going to be turned into um, it's called a washer or a rag so finding partners that can accommodate making that happen. We're not a recycling company. We believe in repurposing, but we don't necessarily have the means to recycle things that aren't wearable. So our partnerships with people or organizations, NGOs abroad or local companies that can give clothing and shoes, you know, a, not necessarily a different life, but can um, dissolve of it in an ethical, proper way that's not harmful to the environment has been something we've had to focus more around, for sure. And then um, when it comes to the shoes we're bringing in, I think it's, it's kind of the same thing. There's less quality, but more quantity. Yeah. And adapting processes and procedures around um, figuring out what to do with them is something we have to look at and take into consideration every day. Even those partners that are donating, you know, use product to us that they're bringing in from their customers as well. We have to look at those relationships strategically and make sure that we're not bringing in a bunch of things that can't be used because then that changes our whole mission and what we're about. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I just had to ask that. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask that because I hear so much about, you know, fast fashion and impact on the um, environment. Mm -hmm. But for donation centers, you know, for a consumer, you can, you know, feel like you're doing your part by donating the used goods to a donation center. But then it almost kind of becomes the nonprofit's problem then to kind of figure out like what's high quality and what's not. Mm -hmm. And then how to then ethically you know, get rid of the, the used goods that you can't actually use for your mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the messaging to donors and supporters has had to change drastically too so that people don't think, oh, I can just dump all of my textiles, my bedding, you know, everything. You'll take it all because you're going to recycle it. And the cost to dispose of things that are not going to give someone else an opportunity takes away from that opportunity that we want to give to people who really have needs. So, yeah, I think fast fashion has had a huge, huge effect on our mission, especially within the last few years. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. One more question about um, your transition from for-profit to non-profit. Do you have any, like, advice that you would give someone 
you know, if, if you were to sit down and grab coffee, what someone would say, and they're like, Stephanie, I want to, you know, leave my corporate gig, what advice would you have for them? I would tell them to do their research and to make sure that they're leaving their role for the right reasons and it's not, you know, something that they could fix by just volunteering. Mm -hmm. I would say try to volunteer, put your energy out there and do good in the community without it needing to be for a paycheck. Because I think for me, my experience in the communities volunteering where I experienced people that had, you know, needs that I could help support or working for an environmental cause that to me exposed me to different areas of the nonprofit world. And you don't just want to go to a nonprofit to go to a nonprofit. You should really have an invested interest in what you're doing. So I would say volunteer your time first. Make sure that the transition is, is for the right reason and that you do your research to find out that the nonprofit that you potentially want to work for is doing their due diligence to make sure their mission is being fulfilled in the right way. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I, I think that's such good advice because by volunteering with multiple different organizations, I think you kind of get a sense of like where you want to contribute. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's so like when you're looking for jobs, you can say, you can be a bit more um, discriminatory into like what you actually apply for. Yeah, absolutely. My focus, I, I thought for sure, like, kids are one of my biggest passions, and I thought that's for sure where I would end up doing something that directly worked with children, and I'm not at all, but the, at the end of the day, the work I'm doing does impact children. It's just in an indirect way, so I think being open-minded as yeah. well. Yeah, that's important. so true. Very true. So knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to your former self? And former could be at any time. <laughs> could be when you were five years old or it could be, you know, a week ago. <laughs> I think no matter what job you're in or what industry, what you're doing, the most important thing is, is to take care of yourself, for one, because you're not valuable if you're not putting yourself first. And, yeah, I think I moved, tried to move too fast and do too much too quick before and didn't really take the time to make sure I was okay and that my decisions were really benefiting me at the end of the day. So, yeah, I would tell myself to slow down. (laughs) (laughs) Very wise. (laughs) Um, Okay, just a couple more questions. So what tools or resources have you found to be the most helpful In my specific role, the most valuable resource is people's time. You know, when I'm working with someone that's doing a shoe drive or someone that is helping empty a bin or someone that's in the warehouse volunteering, knowing that their their time is valuable too and that they need to be doing, if they're going to give their time to Souls for Souls, it's making sure that what they're doing is, is valuable. So that to me, that's been my biggest, I think, resource along the way is leveraging other people who want to support and being able to delegate out to those 
those individuals who are willing to support. Yeah, I love that. I don't think I've ever heard that answer before. That's a good one. (laughs) So where do you see Souls for Souls going in the future? So we've actually had a call this morning with our other regional centers, and we talked about this a little bit. Souls for Souls has grown a lot since I started with the company two years ago, a little over two years ago. At that time, we had around, I think, 29 employees, and now we have over 60, and that's a big jump. Mm -hmm. And I think it shows that the regional centers and all the grassroots efforts have really been successful. So the evolution is kind of an open book right now on what's next. In September, the Richmond location, we hired someone to oversee the warehouse full-time because it was becoming just one too many hats um, in terms of the time it takes to operate a warehouse. So we have evolved in that sense in just the past couple of months, which we didn't really see on the horizon a year ago. So I think that's one thing to take into consideration with a nonprofit is that it changes day to day. (laughs) There's no specific timeline that you can have because a lot of times you have to be reactive and make those decisions. For the future, um, I'm hoping that we continue to grow into other regions and become more specific in our outreach efforts into those newer regions and areas that we're trying to um, get a hold of and bring more donors and volunteers into. Very cool. So one of the questions I always ask anyone I interview on the show is, what do you do for (laughs) (laughs) self-care? That's fitting. Um, So, gosh, self-care. It's such like a loaded word, too. I think... People assume, like, the, what do you call it, like, the buzzword is, oh, I meditate, or I do yoga. Yeah. (laughs) Those are great, but I think self-care is more about taking, taking time for yourself to do things like you enjoy, and that can be anything. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I have to work out every day. That's the only way I stay, like, I think mentally strong is if I have 30 minutes to an hour every day where I can disconnect from reality and I think I've learned that that's really what self-care is is disconnecting for a while so even if for 30 minutes you decide I'm not going to look at my phone I'm not going to touch it you can be doing whatever you want but I'm not going to look at my phone that's self-care in a way everybody has different things they need to step away from it might be work it might be family it might you know be taking time with friends Um, and for me that's one thing I definitely do is I try to take time and put aside a weekend every quarter that I'm going to go and do something with friends because so many of us live in different states and we don't get the time to see each other and I think you have to um, if you don't take care of your relationships they'll they'll fall apart so to me self-care is making sure my relationships are strong and that work isn't getting in the way of that yeah very cool very cool I love that um, you know description of self care because what you said it's so true that you know you kind of have to make time, especially as you get older. I feel like you know there's just 
so many different things that kind of um, pick away at your time. So you have to be very conscious of like how you're going to spend it. And so knowing that working out is something that you can do that will make you feel better and will help you disconnect and making sure that that gets put onto your calendar, (laughs) get done in a day is so important or taking a trip with your girlfriends, whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you so much for joining me. You shared so many great tips and I'm sure anyone who is, you know, transitioning from for-profit to non-profit or just, uh, you know, works in the field will find a lot of value from your advice. So thank you. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Stephanie. Her passion for her work is truly palpable and I find her really inspirational. Stephanie's journey shows us that it may take a few tries before we find that perfect fit, but if you persist, you'll find work that you're truly passionate about. I also love that she builds in time every day for self-care. It's so much easier said than done, so kudos to you, Stephanie, for making that happen. For more of my takeaways from this episode, head over to the show notes at thirdsuite.com forward slash souls for souls. So the way you spell that is S-O-L-E-S, the number four, S-O-U-L-S. Okay, guys, thanks so much for joining me today. I'll be back on Thursday with our second Nonprofit Boss Network episode. Talk to you then. Bye.